0: Sunday Morning Matinee is brought to you in partnership with The Christian Century, a magazine for progressive church leaders. everybody. Welcome to Sunday Morning Matinee, where we talk movies and pop culture with an eye for pastors, preachers, and Sunday school teachers. Today, Adam and I are talking about the 2018 Academy Award-nominated documentary, Minding the Gap. My name is Matt. I'm the pastor at University Presbyterian Church in Austin, Texas.
1: And I'm Adam, and I'm the minister of Overbrook Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania.
0: And today in our first segment, Justification by Faith, I'm going to ask Adam how Minding the Gap might help us think
1: about life in the church and in the world. In our second segment, Preaching to the Choir, we're going to offer up some specific ideas for what you might do with Minding the Gap for this coming Sunday, which will be the 21st Sunday after Pentecost, November 3rd, which is also the Sunday after All Saints Day. And in our third segment, postludes, we'll take a second to share another Little Preacher thought from each of us on something else we're reading, watching, or following.
0: All right, Adam. So this one has been on my watch list for a while, even though I didn't know entirely what I was getting into. Minding the Gap made the buzz last year and ended up losing Best Documentary at the Oscars to Free Solo. But nonetheless, this movie has established its director, newcomer Bing Lao, as a new voice on the documentary scene. Over the course of several years, Bing chronicles the emerging adulthood of three childhood skateboarding friends, one of whom is Bing himself. Using this incredible steadicam footage of these young men skating through their hometown of Rockford, Illinois, Bing gives us an amazing insight into what ties these friendships together. But as the film goes on, what emerges is something darker, that that the other thing binding these men in life is that they have all been victims of childhood domestic violence and the story that unfolds is really about their own reckoning with their fathers and with their mothers and in one case with their own fatherhood adam i I knew a little of this going in but not a lot of it and i have to say that this movie floored me both in subject matter and in craft and i'm curious about you what did you think and and i guess in the spirit of this podcast where did your thinking take you
1: So like you, I was really floored and amazed by this movie. I think it's a tremendous and superlative uh, piece of filmmaking. I think what I had heard about this and what I knew about it was that it was a skateboarding documentary, which as a kid who grew up in Southern California, that was nothing new to me. I mean, sort of skating and surfing documentaries were on the TVs of every home that I went into from age like nine to age 18. It was just sort of like the background um, and every like like surf restaurant down by the beach was always playing one of these documentaries whenever you would like walk in to eat a burger or something like that. And so I just assumed that it was like one of those, but like with with more budget. Um, And so I was I was surprised that something like that had been nominated for an Academy Award And so when I sat down to to watch it, it seemed uh, at least initially To be a movie about how you know skate skateboarding Like brings you closer and you may not have a family that's worth a damn But you know, you can find a family at the skate park and that's the, the beginning of this movie begins to hit those beats And then, very surprisingly, it takes some turns that I was not expecting at all. And that, to me, was the most most exhilarating part of this, which is it starts in some very familiar territory with respect to sort of outsider culture, to people who group themselves around a particular activity. But then what I think makes this movie special is that it begins to delve much deeper into the lives of the people and why it is that they ran to these outsider cultures to begin with. And in the case of, uh, of, of, um, um, of Zach, of Kier and of, uh, of Bing, there's this like tremendous violence in their background. And they're all in this state of emerging adulthood where they're trying to figure out who they are and what that means. And what you realize is that Actually, skateboarding is not really the magnet that like draws them into a new family. Skateboarding is really the escape from the family that is so troubling. Right. And that the story of like, oh, this is my family is is really a, a sort of overlay or a mask to um to to allow someone some measure of safety because they're growing up in a dangerous environment. And this makes total sense. Now that the movie sort of exposes it thinking thinking to myself because skateboarding even though you may do it in community Is it like is a solitary type of thing? You are the only one on the skateboard. You are the one who has to like accomplish these tricks it is it is a very sort of so, uh, like singular or solo type of idea or sport and so um, it, Watching this movie and watching Bing Lao begin to sort of expose not just the way skateboarding operates in these lives but how it it works in the life of those who have who have been traumatized was incredible um, those are my initial thoughts what about you when you were watching it what stood out to you as like unique or novel or, or what surprised you I mean a couple of things and and probably to echo what you've already said
0: one is that uh, and, and, and I grew up Without the benefit of having of being surrounded by surfing and skateboarding documentaries, so I'm curious to hear the kind of compare and contrast from you on the style here, just like the visual style of watching these guys skate. That I mean, the the opening credit sequence of this film is just. Uh, long steady cam work following these three friends as they are skating out of this parking garage and through the the basically empty streets of rockford uh, and it's gorgeous he um he holds the camera at, at kind of eye level on them so you're never watching their feet do complicated tricks instead you are floating with them through this city it gives this incredible spirit of freedom and exhilaration through what is effectively like an like almost like an abandoned post-industrial rust belt city
1: yeah it's a ghost town
0: uh and i mean and scenes that reminded me in some ways of like those scenes of post-apocalyptic um abandonment and like (laughs) like an irobot you know um with uh, uh, the Will Smith movie where like New York is abandoned because of apocalypse. Like that's what this reminded me of. Like these kids are the only people left in this town, but it's beautiful. And the beauty of it struck me throughout the film as like, t- to echo exactly what you were saying, that this is the, the, the way that they are creating joy and beauty as, as a kind of necessary, escape valve and overlay from all the pain that is lingering behind all the doors of these houses and all the doors of these buildings that you are skating that that they are skating past um and and of course then that the other thing about this film that just that that knocked me over is how intimate it is um, And yep. so um it it is mostly about uh Zack and Kier, these um, two friends who are both very good skateboarders, who are both reconciling with the violence in their past. And Zack himself is now a, a, a new father when the film begins, and a, in ways as the film develops is reconciling with the, the way in which that cycle of violence shows up in him as well. And yet the third friend is Bing, who is behind the camera, um but who has and, and does not show up on screen that much there are some very key scenes where he is then confronting his own family history of violence and his own scars but even more than that what struck me is the way in which his friendship with Zach and Kier enables a kind of intimacy as the film develops where because you were watching footage that has accumulated over, I'm not sure how many years, but it is a number of years that you were watching these friends confess things to him in real time based on the, the level of trust grown over a long expanse of making a documentary film, uh, such that when we get to the last 20 minutes or so of this thing, that, um, what, is, what is able to be said on screen and on tape is just kind of remarkable to me. And it, it felt like I was, um, uh, there's not a better word than intimate. It felt like I was in the most possible kind of fragile, intimate, trusting space, um, more so than uh, uh, I, I can remember being certainly in the space of documentary work. I know it was really it felt holy to me
1: So so this is a really important point and I think it's it's worth considering the sort of the skateboarding documentary genre and How this movie both plays into it and actually diverts from it so that that intimacy and that like deep sensitivity that is present in this movie is totally and utterly foreign from the 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 two Basic documentaries that I grew up with, which is the sort of action sports documentary. There is the first, which is like the superlative greats at it. These are the people who are so incredible at the sport, whether they're surfing or skating, that like you just watch them and marvel at their ability. And you don't have to do much except just like videotape them skating or surfing and put like a a song above it, and then just cut it together over and over and over. But as the culture around these superlative um, Like athletes grew there was all sorts of like hangers-on and they because they had all of this freedom and this free time And you know, you can't surf for 12 hours a day. You can't skate for 12 hours a day. They would make mischief and so um, So what you had was in, in skateboarding this sort of new way of of doing skate documentaries Which was like skating and then people doing stupid things and that's people doing stupid things Ultimately like resulted in jackass like they right. all yeah, yeah, started yeah. together yeah. as this sort of like skateboarding big brother Cohort of folks that was built around the culture of skating um, and then it sort of like a stunted adolescence Became the joke that you commercialized and then sold back to the world and it all had its sort of birth and identity built around sort of skating and then Bing Lao comes in and he says, yeah, but all of those those little communities of, of skate parks and different things like that, they all had this very deep layer underneath it that isn't about like doing stupid things in a shopping cart. And this is what I, I think is, is so novel about this film is that he has taken um, and not undermined, but like really sort of given a sensitive portrayal to the. The kids who are doing the stupid things um, that are endangering their lives and then taping it and putting it up on YouTube and He's looking at like imagine someone doing a documentary about jackass and Spending enough time there to recognize like, okay, so what is right? Where's the trauma behind each of these people's lives? Yeah, and making that the movie. Yeah, That's a that's an incredible filmmaking choice. And I was I was sort of astounded to watch him Feel feel both fully at home in the genre conventions. Yeah, and then at but also so deeply sensitive and patient in the work that he was doing so that this movie like Still maintains some of that spirit of like why people are attracted to these sort of action sports documentaries, right? Which is like it's not just that someone is doing something amazing like on a wave or on the street. It's that like when you're there and you're watching it, it feels like there is like this kinetic motion that is both inspiring and it's beautiful and it's free, mm-hmm. right? Like it, it's no, uh, it's it's no coincidence that like these are both outdoors. And you feel like you just have you have a limitless amount of opportunities to improvise and do whatever it is you want and the world itself can be anything that you need it to make need to make it and uh, and that's such a that's that's such a deeply powerful idea especially when you connect it to the sort of stifling and traumatic environments that people are exiting mm-hmm. and and so I was you know I Man, I I think this this movie has got more depth than any first documentary should have and any movie that like is ostensibly about skateboarding should have
0: Yeah, absolutely. I have read a few interviews with Bing over the last 48 hours since I watched this movie And what I have not gotten a grasp on is how much of this he knew when he started to make this project
1: Right. Like what
0: is the what is the movie that he thought he was setting out to make and was it as fully mapped out um, and in concept and in spirit, did he know the depths he was trying to go for when he turned his camera on? Uh, I, I, I don't really have a good sense
1: of that. I... Right. I, I mean, I'm with you. And, and I think that that's maybe probably the the genius of the movie. Yeah. Which is there. There are a couple of pivot points in the movie. And he had the courage to follow those, recognizing that those are more honest um, and important story than, uh, the story about like sk- skateboarding saved my life because I found a family. Right. So what
0: is the, so, I mean, we're a couple of pastors sitting here, so where does the church play <laughs> into this for you? And, and I, I wonder, I mean, to, to kind of start that conversation, uh, I'm, I'm sure that we would both love to be able to paint the church also as this kind of family that, uh, finds that they can find and welcome people who are who, who are fleeing from something. Uh, and, and I wonder whether that maps for you at all, uh, or, or whether this is more of a challenge to us than something that in which we might recognize ourselves.
1: It's a good question. I, I'd be and I'll be interested to hear your opinions, too. I think sometimes we think that the church needs to be this safe space, right? That that what we're doing is they're attracting the hurt and the traumatized into a place of security as as a sort of alternative space to whatever home they're in or whatever safe environment that they're that they're leaving. And there's real there's real need for that stuff. I, I think about Nina, who we haven't actually talked about, who is right. Zach's on again, off again girlfriend and also the, the mother of Zach's child, who By the end of the movie actually turns into one of the main characters. She too has some very intimate moments Um, and there's this moment where she gets she says "I, I was adopted at 21 by my aunt and uncle and they showed me love in a way that um, that I didn't know existed and um And I think that's a that's a really powerful model of the church um, and I think the church has a place in in providing that particular care for those who who Are in pain and who are in need but also I just see how ill-equipped these young people are to move into adulthood and take on new responsibility whether it's parenthood whether it's like a full-time job whether it's trying to figure out how to live independently of parents whether like there and increasingly I'm thinking in what way is it the church's job to equip and prepare people to meet the world um, in a way that is going to that is healthy, that is going to um set them up to succeed, that provides a measure of a safety net in case they they don't. i i'm I'm more interested in that question now, and I don't know if that's just because of the state of ministry that I'm in currently. but what is what is an equipping church look like? Because hmm. what this church what this movie tends to show is that like there are so many people who are ill-equipped to meet the demands of the world in which we live and they're struggling and so in in what way is it the church's job not just to like give them a place to skate but to like i don't know help them get their ged like i and and i don't have an easy answer to that question yeah i don't think that answer i don't think
0: that question has an easy answer and of course i I couldn't watch this movie without kind of running compare and contrast on it with where i was at that time of my life as well and 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 certainly in, in a much different place, a lot of which is wrapped up in the privilege that I grew up in. Uh, I mean, I, I had my high school diploma, I had a college degree. Um, those tracks were pretty well set out for me. Uh, but but there were also ways in which I recognized the same level of like 22 year old, 23 year old immaturity in myself that I saw in them that played out in different arenas and with and with less dangerous consequences. But I'm not sure that the the additional that the difference in consequence is related to my own maturity as much as it was just related to, like, the universes that we had come from. Right. Uh, and, right. you know, that my one of my privileges is that I could be immature without screwing everything up re- irreparably for myself, uh, which which is is a pretty substantial difference.
1: Uh, it's a massive privilege. Right. I mean, to be able to fail is a huge, huge privilege. Right. Uh, it took me.
0: Uh, you know, I was thirty before I went to seminary. There's a almost a decade there of working miscellaneous jobs, and some of them could have been careers, and some of them could not have been. And a lot of it was, I don't know what's going on, and I'm not sure right. where I'm going. And and I could do that with a, a tremendous amount of safety, uh, uh, which which these 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 gentlemen are not afforded. Uh, and right. and I'm, I'm, I was very aware of that watching it, and and it, and it that depends on my ability to to cast a, a lot of judgment i guess it's it's hard for me to talk about it's, it's one thing to talk about being an equipping church but i don't want to do it in a way that condescends and, totally and I feel that's, that, that, that's that that's the challenge um well I'm also i'm also aware like and, and i'm pivoting here a little bit but yeah I'm, I'm also aware of like how much domestic violence is happening in the pews of our churches oh, god and so like when we talk about church as a safe space like no no I'm, right I, um, and, and I, I, maybe it is for some people and I hope that it is, uh, and I certainly hope that like it, domestic violence is not necessarily happening in the pews of our churches physically in a practical way on Sunday morning, but like statistically how many of the, how many of the couples that are coming to worship with us are going home and one of them is in an unsafe environment, um. Dealt with this a little bit in in a previous call, um, and it's um, only a matter of time before I deal with it in my current call because statistically that's what the numbers say, um, mm-hmm. and and so I'm I'm also aware of the church's need to figure out how to talk about this and how to put this on the table in a way that brings the kind of light to it that I think Minding the Gap does really really well, um. Which I think is a critical ingredient of us being able to talk about
1: what we mean when we
0: say that we are a safe and a welcoming place.
1: Right. And, and figuring out how to communicate that to the world is really, really difficult. Additionally, I think somewhere in this equation, as we think about what what the church's role is with respect to the hurting to those who are in um, you know, situations of intimate partner violence, it's I keep coming back to this world word freedom, which I think is also a major part of this movie, right? Which is the skateboard represents freedom. It it represents a sort of measure of freedom to do something. Yeah. And, and and I wonder in what ways our churches are promoting that sense of freedom or that feeling of freedom to the people who feel, uh, I mean, locked up, who feel like they're in some measure of bondage and, Uh, and I haven't, I haven't yet figured that out either, but I, you know, not to get too personal, but this, this movie hit really close to home for me in part because, um, number one, I, I, I had a, I had an unsafe home with a father that was unsafe. And, and I'd found, I didn't find solace in a skateboard. I found solace in a basketball court. And, and I can remember like how sacred that place was because i was able to do what i wanted to do and i had a measure of control and freedom and agency in the midst of it even as a young person that i that was intoxicating it was just like so necessary and so it's um i i don't know how the church can can facilitate or provide that freedom except to continue to try and sort of release people from shame and release people from, um, from the bondage that, that holds them. I mean, practically with respect to like, uh, couples who are experiencing in, intimate partner violence. Like I, I'm, I really am at a loss and I feel ill equipped to meet uh, to meet those demands with the full weight and strength of the gospel and the full, weight and strength of justice that uh, the gospel demands and and this this movie at least gives me a hint that like freedom is a part of that sensitivity and pathos is a part of that um i feel like bing is such an important part of this movie not just as the filmmaker but as a character in part mm-hmm. because he's he acts as their confessor yeah absolutely like they, there's so much shame that each of these characters holds with them both um, of the actions that they've done, but also the, the things that have been done to them. And he listens and he presses them pretty at, at some point, but never does he condescend and never does he shame them. And I was I was deeply inspired by his, you know, I guess, like uh, pastoral bedside manner. Oh my gosh, absolutely. Do you think you could use this movie in your ministry? Um, I don't know if it'd be in my ministry. I think it might, it could, it could show up in a, in a classroom. Um, I think, I actually think it'd be a really good movie for seminary students to consider. Yeah. Um, I I don't know. Did you ever meet, um, there's a, um, there was a, a Ministry out of Red Bank, New Jersey that basically started out a skate park and it started ba- the church started as like a youth group and then grew like really tremendously because it it started with these sort of disenfranchised group of kids mm-hmm. and That became super attractive and then grew into another church. It's called outreach Red Bank um, and Christian is the minister there it, it was it was a I couldn't watch this movie without also thinking about that. And it'd be really interesting to hear him and that church reflect on this, on this documentary. I I think that there might be some, if we were teaching a sort of care and ministry class, using this as a a beginning and starting point about sort of how do we, how do we meet the demands of people? Some of whom have made really terrible decisions, some of whom are still in places of trauma and care for them. What about you? Do you see a a sort of place in your ministry for it?
0: Man, I would love to. Um, uh, I would love to for reasons we've already articulated that I think this movie uh, gives us a model for um, what the kind of intimate, honest confession conversations can be like and the, the value and virtue of them. And I also think the movie talking about the movie becomes an opportunity for that in its own way. I mean, that's one of the, I think the real powers of this, uh, the the reason that I, I, the reason that I could not, you know, pull a bunch of adults into a room or show this with a youth group at our church or something like that is because of the, the constant level of profanity in it, um, which, and and, and I, I just want to go on a little bit of a soapbox here for a second to say how, how, um, how bothered I am by that fact. Not the profanity itself. I am bothered by the fact that the profanity would get in the way of me being able to use this right. film in a ministry setting. Um, it, 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 it hurts me intellectually and spiritually that um, we have such a specific sense of what profane means when it comes to certain four-letter words and we don't have a broad enough sense of what profane means in terms of the kind of violence that shows up in this film, and that we put one of them on a higher pedestal than the other by saying, well, we couldn't use this because there's too much cursing in it. And I feel right. like that 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 is... Um, and, and I know that that's not something that we have all adjudicated together, um, specifically around this documentary. It's just kind of inherited practice. Um, but... but I, I, I resent the fact that the the cursing in this movie um, would seem like an impediment to doing the, the much more substantial work of, um, of, of, of discipleship and reconciliation um, and, and wrestling with the complicated grace of God that shows up here um, simply no. because we can't can't abide the language. So that's my soapbox.
1: I think that's the the right place to move on, Matt. I, there's so much left to talk about with this movie because it is so multivalent and deep. I mean, we didn't get into the questions of race with respect to Kier and and his um, his experience or the sort of ideas of masculinity and how they yeah. show up in this movie. There's there's so much more to talk about with this movie, and we, I mean, I think we're both in agreement that. In, that we encourage everyone to go and watch it. Please if go you have any ideas. Yeah. Come,
0: it's it's come on a, it's on a Hulu right now Like you just go stream it and it's it's so good
1: So as we move on we're grateful for our partnership with the Christian century and want to guide your attention to the great work that they're doing um, Just uh, an, an issue ago. They had their fall books issue, which is always a, a one of my favorites because um I don't have the time to sort of figure out what books are good any longer with respect to theology and they do a really good job of curating those books so go check out their fall books uh, issue and all of the great books therein. in um if you are listening and don't yet subscribe to the Century sunday morning matinee listeners can get a free trial magazine subscription for more information visit christiancentury.org podcast offer
0: all right adam let's move on to preaching this segment is called preaching to the choir we're going to look at the lectionary passages for this coming sunday november 3rd passages include habakkuk's encouragement to write the vision isaiah's terrible judgment of israel including your hands are full of blood we also have zacchaeus climbing a tree in luke's gospel as you look at these passages
1: adam what stands out to you so this movie has a couple of really interesting filmmaking choices that at first i thought were kind of silly but then turned out to be more powerful than I had anticipated. And, and one of them is that w- some of the transition shots between scenes and during the movie when they show the town are of billboards in the movie itself, of, of, in Rockport. Um, and those billboards are sort of uncanny, unc- what's that word? Uncannyingly? Sure. Is that even a word, Matt? It is now. You've, Un- you've, you've decreed it. Yeah appropriate for the subject of what's going on. Right. Whether it's like a skateboarding and this like you you broke a broke a leg or something like that, but this idea of brokenness that's present in the movie, there's this like these these billboards about fatherhood that are very spot on. There's a one about the boys and girls club and the opportunity that it provides. And I I was kind of surprised by these, but also I I thought that they were really smart and really interesting as a sort of meta commentary on whatever was actually going on in the movie itself. Um, and it got me thinking about the Habakkuk passage. Um, because in in some ways, like we live in a world where the truth, um the vision is already written. I mean, there there are lots of visions in the world. There are lots of good uh, creative products like this movie that are already out there. And so many times as I've read this passage, I've I've thought about being in Habakkuk's shoes, which is to say the person writing the vision, the 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 one who creates right. the creative product that other people understand. Um, but after watching this movie and realizing maybe Bing Lao is writing a vision, so who does that make me? In many ways, at least according to Habakkuk, that makes me the runner who is actually supposed to see the vision that is right. plainly written. And Uh, And I thought about these billboards and the fact that they are all around us um, and we just don't see it. And so what does it mean in in our church and in our world to be the runner who actually notices the visions that have already been written by those ordained by God to write those things? And and it got me thinking, too, as I watched the movie. So why are we why is this person running right right because exercise is not really a thing in the ancient world <laughs> like you know they like, get, I mean they get plenty like the, they get they get plenty right you know like calories like burning calories is not really a thing right so you run because you're fleeing something you're escaping something right um that and that seems especially appropriate in this movie because most of the characters in this movie are actually running from something Um, But they're also running to something. They're trying to find a destination find somewhere to go and um, and so for for those of us who are running from something It's really hard to stop and actually see the vision and pay attention to it And so in what ways do we have to make sure that people aren't actually fleeing from things if they're gonna read the vision? but also there are those who are running to something and so much of the world is written plainly and they can't see it because they're focused on something else. And so how do we help those people focus on the vision that's already been written? And so I, you know, strange, these, this strange little transition choice that, that Lau makes in his movie is, um, has got me thinking about Habakkuk and the various roles that we could play as we, as we enter into that scripture.
0: Yeah, I like that a lot. It, it makes me kind of, it, it makes me empathize with Habakkuk a little bit. Like, you know, what if he's already written it really plainly? Like, it, you know, it puts the onus of responsibility, the way we preach this and the way we read it puts the onus of responsibility on him. And what if the onus of responsibility is broader and more complicated? And so it's right. like, well, you know, maybe he's been saying it as clearly as he possibly could. And what is, oh, what is, what how is he supposed
1: to hear? Write the vision uh, make it. Yeah, I mean mean, if it's supposed to like Write it so that it stops people from running. I mean that's kind of an interesting idea I think there's there's a couple ways to sort of play with this Yeah, this relationship of runner and writer here that um, that this this movie has helped me think about what about you? Uh, Well, I mean this dovetails with some stuff we've already talked about in
0: this movie But one of one of the alternative psalms for the day is Psalm 32 and it's this psalm of confession that shows up on the lectionary, and I imagine most folks probably aren't going to the psalm for a preaching text. <laughs> but but take a look at this one. Oh, it's so good! <clears throat> it's such a good psalm. Yeah, take. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's 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 a psalm of confession, and it is about the cost of not talking, uh, and and not being honest about the stuff that hangs on you. And I mean, the line is, you know, while I kept silence, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long, Mm. Uh, which is just a very powerful Mm. physiological take on the cost of not being able to say what is on our hearts. And and so and, and which seems to me exactly what's going on in so much of Minding the Gap. Uh, and, and never more so than towards the end, where uh, wh- where Zach is sitting by the riverside, and Bing has got the camera just kind of right behind him and to the side a little bit, and we finally get Zach. Zach kind of breaks down, and talks about uh, the 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 deep trauma that is going on underneath, and the way in which he is trying to cover it up he says i feel like a clown you just paint up your face and you put on your act and it's 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 all covering up this deep terror which seems to be you know uh, is he going to grow up to be his father is he going to treat his son the way that his father treated him uh, he talks up he, he 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 names that like he is not sure whether or not his child should be with him uh, which is a terrible thing to say out loud, and yet the fact of saying it mm. feels so deeply cathartic, and so deeply real. Um, and in the same way, you know, we we didn't talk at all about Bing putting his own mother on the camera and the confrontation scene that happens there, where uh, um, where Bing's mom says, you know, if you if you try not to think about it, and talking about her own um, the the. The, the step, Bing's stepfather that was in her life for a while who was also abusive and she says, if you're trying not to think about it, I, I don't think that's going to work um, and then kind of acknowledges to Bing like if if this movie is the thing that helps you feel better, you know she is willing to sit there and talk about it as an act of motherly love to her child. Um, if, this mo- if, if, yeah. if this film helps you feel better, that's fine um, at which point Bing calls cut. and and the camera is on him behind the camera on his mother, and he just kind of collapses on the side of the frame. This is just jaw-dropping moment um, where everything is now out. And the question is, does it being out help? Um, And I I, I, I think it does. I firmly believe that it does. It is rooted in my my theology and my sense of why we do any of this, that, that that naming helps. Um, but it's certainly I, I think deeply underneath this film is is while I kept my while I kept silence my body wasted away through
1: my groaning all day long Yeah, and I think that there's there's a connection there too with the back with the back passage where I mean the beginning of that passage is like Habakkuk's instructed to wait on the Lord, right? Yeah, and trying to trying to just um, Trying to distinguish between what is the sort of silence that has been um, laid in my life and what is the waiting um, and how those two things interact I think might be fruitful as well because uh, this this movie is told over a long period of time and right. there's a lot of waiting on yeah on these confessions um, there's a lot of silence that's kept until um, finally the the earned respect and earned time and earned right. waiting of Bing is actually um, reciprocated. Yeah, absolutely.
0: And it feels like 80 minutes to us watching, but it is actually the, the, the product of several years of filmmaking and many more years of friendship. I mean, it is deeply earned on the part of the one who gets to listen and so i I, and, I, I, don't, I don't i don't mean so i don't mean my comment at all to be like yeah. if you're holding a secret you got to tell it it's 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 <laughs> it's, it's more complicated no, than that but, but it yeah, is it is um but it is uh, deeply rooted in in that moment of of opening and earned catharsis that i think is is where this film hinges and hopefully in some places where, where our worship hinges
1: i think so and i think there's that moment where nina divulges that zach has hit her mm-hmm. and that is it, he himself is a, a domestic abuser at this point point. and He You hear the choice in his question that comes next which is he's a filmmaker and he's their friend Right And he's trying to negotiate these two identities because on the one hand this piece of information Complicates the movie in a way that is probably good for the movie. Ultimately, right? Of course as crass as it sounds. Yeah, of course Um, But as a creative person, that's you I can hear it in the background and he's also trying to respect the needs of this woman who's in front of him and It's not it's not clean, you know, and but I'm I'm so I was very surprised to hear him say like well Is this something that I can use? Right. Um Because there are a lot of documentary filmmakers who refuse to even entertain that question That the the their job is to be a sort of outsider Mm -hmm. um, Who captures the truth of the thing and then they put the truth on the on the page or on the on the screen
0: And apparently he did tell all of them that they would all get to see it before it would be screened to the public and apparently there are a couple of seconds that Nina asked to be removed from the film Oh, really? Interesting. So, so I mean, the whole that um, Nina, um, that that whole circle got kind of
1: first cut in a way. Yeah, uh, and that's fa- that's a fascinating and uh, yeah. creative decision to make as well. And I wonder what that means ultimately for ministry in, in the world that we live in now, too. Yeah. This movie is great, Adam. I want
0: to talk about it more, but we should probably move on.
1: Yeah, let's move on. Okay, this is our last segment. It's called postludes. It's just a chance to get another little preacher thought from each of us on something else we're watching or following. So, Matt, what's your postlude for the week? So,
0: one of the things I was thinking about during Minding the Gap" was trying to figure out what the title meant. Uh, and part of it, I think, is a skateboarding reference um, that I don't yes. fully understand. And part of it is, uh, uh, I, I think, a lot of it has to do with this this kind of gap between. Um, who these friends are on the streets of Rockford as they skate through, and then what is happening behind closed doors. Uh, and then part of me thinks it's it's there's a little bit of kind of class critique built in here. Um, looking at kind of the socioeconomic situation in Rockford. Versus um, what it might be for folks uh, in, in a different context, uh, and that is my the best segue I've got to talk about uh, the the best film on class critique that I've seen in a really long time, which is Bong Joon Ho's Parasite that has just uh, that, that is gradually coming into theaters right now. I'm not going to spoil a thing. All I really want to say is that everybody should go see it. Um, I I am have had a kind of. I, I've seen some of Bong Joon-ho's work. I have not seen The Host, which was, was kind of major um, uh, coming to the market film here in the US. Uh, I saw Snowpiercer, which I liked a lot, but the, the class metaphor in Snowpiercer is, is really on the nose. And it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's on the nose, I think, at the expense of, of rich characterization and rich character development. Yeah. Uh, Parasite is They don't not. live long enough actually to develop. Right, and and they're played a little bit as types, right? And they're not played as people that you actually develop empathy for. And Parasite is the most subtle working of this I've ever seen, where it is clearly heavily metaphorical, to the point where at various points characters exclaim how metaphorical things are. And also, the characters are so richly drawn that you fall in love with them despite it all. Uh, It is a jaw-dropping piece of cinema... (laughs) Uh, I cannot wait for us to be able to have a longer conversation about it on this show uh, It is uh, in Korean. It is with subtitles, but it is coming to a theater near you And if this thing is not on every short list for the best movie of the year Then we have done something terribly wrong as a planet uh, So please go that's it. yeah,
1: I mean, I I can't wait. I I think he's an, an incredible filmmaker and one of the the best and it's um, It's a a testament to both the world that we live in and the problems of our own country. That you know, some of some of the best filmmakers in the world are not coming out of North America any longer, and they're doing they're doing just wild and amazing cinema. Yeah. And so I can't wait to see this. Yeah, it's um, awesome. So from the sublime to something kind of ridiculous. I, you know, I talked a little bit about skate movies and and surf movies. These these really were the sort of backgrounds. Of, of my childhood and I and there are some there are a couple of that sort of stand out as important and a couple of filmmakers who would never be known as like Successful commercial filmmakers in the wider world except they're very well known in a, in a particular culture um, the the first is that the Probably the most important surfing movie ever is endless summer by um, directed by Bruce Brown which is you know Two surfers who set off around the world looking for perfect waves it is one of the most like wonderfully simple premises for a movie ever um, that turns into some of the uh, just like Incredible photography and these new ideas about sort of what exactly the surfing culture is and It's a bit propaganda. It's a bit um, Art house film. It's a bit documentary it it Sort of defies a lot of convention, and everyone, if you haven't seen Endless Summer, should see Endless Summer just as a sort of classic. Um, not with, not just within documentary filmmaking, but just sort of classic of cinema photography. Um, there was a sort of new group of people right uh, in the '90s who decided that they would make surf films uh, with 60 millimeter cameras, which was kind of a cool, ridiculous idea. Yeah, um, which- did they carry them on the board? Like are they? No, no, okay. no, But they would put them in boats and. Okay. okay. I mean, but if you're, if you know anything about filmmaking, insisting millimeter cameras in particular, they're they're kind, of, they're temperamental beasts. Yeah. By which to try and make a film and add water and sand, <laughs> it's like it's a terrible. It's like it's a very bad choice. But, um, like. Jack Johnson is one of them. Yes, the like the singer songwriter Jack Johnson what? is one of the filmmakers. Yes, yes. So he he does um he does a couple of different movies. Um, and then uh, Taylor Steele starts doing some more. And they and Taylor Steele's tends to be a little bit more aggressive. But what we end up seeing is like there's a new wave of surf filmmaking. That is actually really beautiful and is bringing something new to the genre and something new to photography with respect to outdoor photography, nature photography, and then cinema um, and documentary filmmaking. So um, I encourage you if you if you want. I mean, Thicker Than Water is another one. Uh, September Sessions. There, there are a couple of really good surf films that, if anything, they're, they're never more than an hour long. Um, But what you see is like you get to see beautiful waves and and people do incredible things on the waves and then the photography gets even better because you can go in the water now and you can see things in ways that you didn't see things before. Um, But I I have a deep fondness for those 16 millimeter docks that were that were made and all of the and how hard they must have been. So go check out some surf documentaries. I thought the best surfing movie of all time was the last act of Point Break. Am I wrong? No, no, no. It's North Shore with uh, Rick Kane. Have oh, you okay. ever seen North Shore? I have not seen North oh, Shore. Gotta see North Shore. North Shore is ridiculous. Right. It's the dumbest movie you've ever seen. It's it's basically Rocky, but in Hawaii. <laughs> well, I know what I'm doing with the rest of my day,
0: Adam. And with that, that about wraps it up for this episode. If you uh, like the show, be sure to leave a rating on iTunes or come to the show page and tell us how we got it wrong. We love your feedback. Drop us a line on Facebook or Twitter or at the show page at SundayMorningMatinee.com. Special thanks, of course, to our friends at the Christian Century and to our new editor, Derek Weston. Derek, welcome on board. The music today was composed by Bobby Brinkerhoff. Big thanks to him and his band, Denver Subshop. Thanks, Adam.